Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome back to season three of Grassroots Radio. I am your host, Ganique Bird, and today it is my pleasure to present an interview with an up and coming architect in Antigua and Barbuda by the name of Aaron Nibs. We start off this conversation by talking a little bit about Aaron's educational background and how he got into the field of architecture. And then we spend some time exploring the challenges and possibilities for the city of St. John's and some of the historical sites of Antigua and Barbuda. And my favorite part of this conversation is actually way towards the end where we dive a little bit into what it means to be Caribbean people and how we can come to terms with our history and the darkness of it and how a failure to do that might actually be holding us back from realizing the potential that we all know this region has. The musical interludes that are featured in today's conversation are excerpts from the work of Akira the Don. He's a California-based artist, and if you're interested in this kind of sound, you can find him on YouTube. That's all for me for today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I am grateful, as always, to have you listening. And here is Aaron Nibs to tell you who he is. Hi, listening audience. I'm Aaron Nibs. I'm 32 years old and I'm an architect. I was born in the UK and I moved to Antigua when I was seven. I lived in Antigua until I was about 20 years old. And then I went off to study in the UK. I'm currently working for a uh, a firm, um, a local firm on the island that specializes in high-end residential Literally a week after I moved to Antigua, I, I started working there. Wow, so you were in high demand already. Well, I, I used to work for them when I used to come home during the summer. So I used to do a little internships. I guess, you know, they had a lot of work going on. And because I already had a relationship with them, they they hired me. Yeah. Before you went off to study like in Antigua, what kind of preparation did you do for going into this field? Um... To be honest, I was, um, I did A-levels after I did high school, after I went to grammar school, and I was in A-levels for two years, but um, really and truly, the A-levels never really uh, prepared me. So I ended up going to Abbott for about, I think, 10 months. I went to Abbott, and then I did an architectural um, diploma course there. And I I basically, I did the course for for the 10 months. I never actually finished it. I had a few more. Um, courses and credits I needed to do. But I I essentially just did that for a few months. And then once I got into university, I just, you know, I left after the summer of uh, 2008. So, um, yeah, so essentially it was just, uh, went to to university and I just, uh, you know, they they teach you everything from scratch anyway. So even, even though I had the background knowledge already, from going to Abbott and, you know, even the stuff that I learned in high school, yeah, essentially had to start from scratch again. But it sounds like you kind of knew already or for a long time that you wanted to do or go into this particular field. Is that correct? Yeah, because I I sort of knew this from a very young age. I would say probably 
pre-teens or even before pre-teens. So, you know, I also used to look at construction going around in Antigua and, you know, essentially when I, when I got to like the age where I had to decide what I wanted to do, I, I had three choices that I want. I was looking at, I was looking at architecture, product design and automotive design. And I had to weigh up my options, which one was more, <clears throat> which one was more um, viable globally. And it led to me deciding on architecture. Right. So you were thinking globally and not so much specifically Antigua. Like, was it always your plan to come back and be here sort of permanently? Yeah, it was always the plan. The plan was always to come back. And um, the reason why I say globally, you know, you, you want to have some sort of skill that you can transfer um, across the world. You know, you don't want to be limited to one thing, you know, Cause so when I when I thought, when I had to decide between that and those other two, those other two basically limited me to countries that those things were specialized in. Mm. So product design is a is is relatively an up and coming thing in the Caribbean. You know, you have fashion designers, furniture designers, but automotive design you really have to be in a country where there's a thriving um, automotive yeah. industry. And Antigua sadly doesn't have that. So architecture was, was, you know, at the top of the list. And growing up here, seeing how things run and seeing the architecture that um, Antigua has and, you know, even the infrastructure and the planning was something that I always was like, you know, Antigua could benefit from improving, you know. And I, my plan was always to go and study, get education, come back and then use what I've learned to um, implement here in Antigua. Yeah, that's admirable. And how do you find that mission going? Um, it's very slow, to be honest. It's it's slow because, yeah. you know, when you come back, you have all of these ideas, you have all of these things, but then you understand how the system runs and, you know, you have to sort of alter your 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 approach to, you know, get people on board. And so, you know, at the moment, I, you know, I, I, I have just really scratched the surface. I've, I'm just in a stage of just trying to come up with ideas and you know thinking of the approach in which I can start of use my skill skill set you know not just limit myself to just designing buildings but also you know the townscape and the urban design and the urban planning of, of Antigua as a whole yeah let's double click on that for a bit what's your general sense or um, I mean, your general evaluation of the current state of planning and that kind of thing in Antigua and Barbuda. Okay, so my opinion, my opinion of it is it does need some sort of regulation, some sort of regulating, because um, I, I, you know, going to school in the UK and studying, you know, what planning is about and living in a country where planning is one of the most important things before you can develop an area. I, I see Antigua and it's like, um, it's like, it's, it's very fluid because even though there's, you know, certain laws in place and there's certain legislation, zoning and so forth, a lot of the things are not, well, how should I say it? They're not enforced. So, for example, you will, you'll have a residential area and then someone will decide, okay, let me put some sort of industrial um, workshop or warehouse right next to some houses. 
And essentially that in itself can cause a problem for one, the people who live in the area. Um, and two, it can also cause, you know, a detrimental impact on the feel of the area because, you know, you've now turned this sort of residential area into a commercial zone, which it's never been designed for. And I think a lot of the times when it comes to planning here, a lot of people think planning is just, you know, like buildings and so forth. And, and it's a lot more than that. It's all about how the place feels, how the areas feel. Um, you know, basically giving it a sense of place and also sustainable development. And I think, you know, in Antigua, we need to focus more on that because it, it seems like in the, when it comes to the public sector, there's not a lot of focus on that. And you find a lot of private projects like hotels and, you know, gated communities, they seem to take the understanding of what planning is and they design their infrastructure accordingly. Why do you think that, you know, it's one country? So within the country, if we have certain laws or certain regulations in place for how things get planned or how things get built, why is it that there is this huge difference between what goes on with private construction and then what goes on when it comes to public infrastructure? I think it has to do with, I think it has to do with financing. Private developments, you know, let's just say, for example, Jolly Harbour, right? Albeit Jolly Harbour is, isn't the best um, development on island, you know, but one of the things I must take for it is that the way how it's laid out, the way how it takes into consideration the um, amenities, you know, where they're located, where the residences are, and so forth. Like, it's all to do with finance because, you know, as you know, our government you know, has their money allocated elsewhere and, you know, they, you know, they never have enough money to do X, Y, Z for the infrastructure. So it's always a case of financing. And I also think the problem is as well, is that, you know, I don't know, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to assume, but I, it seems like there's not a lot of like understanding as to how important planning is when it comes to developing. Like, even if you have a, a village that's existed, right, for example, you don't necessarily have to eradicate the existing village. You just, you know, you look at what's lacking in the village and you add to it to improve the quality of life of the people that live there and basically improve the sense of place of the area. You know what I mean? Take away, you know, if an area is known to be poverty stricken or, you know, it's lacking in certain things, you add things to it to improve it so that the inhabitants feel empowered and, you know, even people who are visiting feel empowered. So in, in relation to your question as to why I think it's, it's the way it is, um, I can't really give it one real answer. I think it's just a myriad of different things. And I think the main thing is um, education as in terms of how important it is for the country. I think I would, I would kind of challenge the idea that people don't know how important it is. Because there is such a thing as the chief town and country planner. There are people who occupy these positions and there are people who go away and study these things and come back and occupy positions. So mm -hmm. on some level, I mean, you pointed to a certain fluidity in the rules. Because in some sense, the knowledge is there. It's just for some reason not being put into practice. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you say these people exist, but... Why, why isn't it that 
a lot of these things aren't enforced? You know, why is it not stricter? You know, I, I don't know. Because in my, in my opinion, I feel like we need stricter policies for the development of Antigua. And because we don't have stricter policies, a lot of things happen that shouldn't be happening. And even though we have these officials in these places, I, it, it makes me concerned that they are not putting the hammer down. And maybe they have tried to put the hammer down and there's forces that are above them that they can't fight against. I don't know. Mm. But it seems like, you know, an island that we have here that's almost 40 years independent, we, we still do not have some of the base infrastructure that we should be having, you know? Yeah, and what are some of those things that you see lacking? Off the top of my head, I'll say first and foremost, we need proper drainage and water management in Antigua, right? Now, I know we suffer from drought, and I know, I know we have desalination plants around the island, and, you know, I understand the government's plight saying it's expensive to run desal plants, but we also have many little, you know, water catchments, you know, ponds, little streams, canals, you name it, right? My thing is, why is it that, you know, there aren't ways for us to, you know, improve the, the, the capacity of these things and somehow regulate the water supply? You know, even, even when you think about roads, for example, whenever there's a heavy rain, we have all of these ex, ex, um, excess water and excess water literally goes either back to sea or it just sits on the ground and it, it just stays there indefinitely until it evaporates. I would say water management is definitely at the highest rank right now. You definitely need better water management. Um, I also think things like having exposed gutters, it's a health risk. It's a health, yeah. it's a health risk. Because, you know, you have all, all waste matter there and bacteria and, you know, all kinds of pathogens. And, and not to mention, like, those, those ones that you have on Old Palm Road, that big, deep one. Just the other day, two cars went down inside of those gutters. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally think open gutters should be a thing past. You should cover them up, but have openings to allow for water to penetrate into. And then either that water gets taken back to a treatment plant, treated and then recirculated, or it's used for, you know, agricultural means. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I just think Antigua has a lot of potential because, because we're a developing country. We have a lot more wiggle room to develop our system based on what we've seen in other countries and, you know, also improve on things that haven't worked in other countries and tailor it to our unique situation. Yeah, do you think that, you know, your experience in the UK and kind of having lived there in your very early years, do you think that has shaped your perspective on these problems and like their potential solvability, especially compared to your average Antiguan who may not necessarily, I don't know, see the same amount of potential? I mean, I think there's a lot of Antiguans who who are aware, you know what I mean, who are aware of how things should be because, you know, you know, we all watch TV, YouTube, internet. We know how things should be. And I, I do think my perspective, I, I think I've had this perspective even before I went to, to study in England and, you know, I was over there and living. Because I would see simple things like no sidewalks. And I would be like, why is there no sidewalks? You know, why is it that people have to walk on the road? You know? And, you know, these are things that 
have always been on my mind because I, 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 I'm the type of person, I like things to be streamlined. I like things to be a particular way. So in, initially that is a bit of an OCD moment for me, seeing things that aren't the way they're supposed to be. Um, I think with regards to, you know, my perspective on things, I think having lived between Antigua and the UK and traveling to different parts of the world, I, I see the commonalities in, in terms of, you know, how they, how they set the place up and how there's always a sense of place when you go to different areas. Like, it's the same in Antigua. Depending on what village you go, there's always a different feel of the village. You know what I mean? But I also think, like, the basics are things that we lack in Antigua, like the basics, you know? And I think if we start with the basics, then we can build up on the other, other important things to move forward. You've used this term, a sense of place, a number of times. And mm-hmm. I want to unpack a little bit what you mean by that, especially for people who may not be super familiar with the term. Um, is it something that comes from architecture specifically? And is there like a definition of it? So <laughs> sense of place... I'm going to be honest. When I went to when I when I went to to study, that was the term that I heard a lot when I was studying planning mm-hmm. um, and architecture at the same time. And um, if I had to give it a definition, it, it's essentially, you know, the look and feel of an area. You know what I'm saying? The way how an area operates, and you know, the way it. You know, it's a generally it's look. It's a generally it's look and feel. If I'm if I keep it totally basic, mm-hmm. and when I talk about that, I I think about how it is when you go to an area. How does it make you feel? Does does it have does it have the things that would make you want to stay there for an extended period of time? Do you feel safe? Do you feel happy? Do you feel it's it's a myriad of things that you know, touch on the human psyche. So, for example, you know, you may go to the beach and there's certain elements within the beach that makes you feel drawn to it, you know? Or you may go to a, you know, a city somewhere. You know, let's say you go to a city in, 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 the, in the States. There's certain things within that city that um, become familiar or sort of give you a sense of feeling where you are. You know, you say, okay, this is a this is a nice this is a nice city. This is a futuristic city. This is this city has a lot of tall buildings or this is full of parks or this is a green area. So it's essentially the identity of the space more than anything else. And what's the sense of place that you feel when you're in St. John's for instance? To be honest it, the St. John City, if we're talking about the heart of town, I mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I remember going there as, as a as a as a young child and you know, it's always had a place in my heart. But as I see it now, it, it feels like it's it's been neg- neglected to say the least. Um I I think how it is right now, it definitely doesn't feel very welcoming. You know, because when you think about tourism being our number one industry and tourists come off boats and have to walk through the city, there's a lot of things that 
aren't in place that need to be in place, not only for them, but for us as well as nationals. So at the moment, I, I don't really feel positive about St. John's, but it does, like I say, it does have potential to be a lot better than it is right now. Way, 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 way better than it is right now. If you had um, free reign, like if someone gave you a magic wand and said, okay, Aaron, go make St. John's into the city that it could be, what are some of the changes that you would make immediately? So I would, I would opt for a, you know, near fully pedestrianized um, city, right? And the only way you would have sort of vehicular access is for service vehicles and, and taxis, service vehicles and taxis and, and maybe shuttle service, you know, to take people to and from their vehicles. Um, and then all of the main streets would have, would be sort of like a promenade of, you know, vendors in the streets. So, you know, you know, all of these people were selling on the side of the road. Now they can essentially take over the full road and, you know, you'll have a lot of different stalls doing, selling different things. And I think it would have a really good feel because then it would, you know, sort of have this feel of a lot more entrepreneurship and people, you know, hustling to, to, you know, make a living and, you know, people being their own bosses. And, you know, when people come to the Caribbean or come to Antigua, sorry, they will be like, yeah, this is, this, this feels good. This feels nice. You know, um, you know, you can walk around freely and you don't have to worry about traffic or anything like that. And another thing I would, I would actually do is, you know, if there's any derelict buildings, I would, you know, a, either renovate, get them renovated, turn them into other uses or B, have them removed and, you know, come up with some development strategies for them. I also think we could make use of having more public spaces for people to congregate and meet and, you know, like a park so people can, you know, have a, have a, have a place they can chill out. Because currently, I mean, we do have botanical gardens and we do have the rising sun grounds, but the location of them is so out of the city, you know, out of the uh, the the boundaries of St. John city that, you know, you're not going to really go there unless you're either catching bus from East bus station or you're going to the library, you know, can you imagine coming into St. John's and then walking over there in the hot sun? Yeah. It's not really the most conducive location for people right now. Yeah. That's very true. Um, yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing that you'll find in any, like any city anywhere. Yeah. Cause I know, I know a few islands in the Caribbean do have, parks and so forth. I think I think Jamaica has parks and you know Cayman Islands and those other places so I feel like you know we could benefit that I know our, our version of the park is the beach but you know sometimes you need to have these play these centralized space spaces within the communities so that people can congregate you know we have the ball course which is fine and, you know, those are good for sports and activities. But like you said, you need spots where you can just hang out, chill, socialize with your friends and your family and, you know, have a good time. Yeah, definitely. So as you were describing your proposed situation, your hypothetical reimagining of the vendor situation in St. John's and having different promenades and having people under canopies and setting up a real marketplace type of atmosphere... I thought it might be interesting to get you to contrast that idea with something like 
the vendors mall or the mall down at West West Station, where similar ideas have been attempted to put into place, but haven't exactly worked out how they were sold originally. So can you highlight what would be the differences between what you're proposing and what has been done? How do those two things differ and why does one work over the other? I think having it, it's a good question. That's a good question. Because um, if I'd have to think, with the Vendor's Mall, Vendor's Mall in itself is a, is a good idea, right? But I, I think it limits the number of vendors that you can have. The same with the one by West Bus Station. I mean, the one by West Bus Station is a very admirable idea as well because I, I think it's very good that you have a formalized sheltered area where you can hope you can have your different um businesses when i when i think about like the 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 west bus station one i feel like maybe it's it's a bit what's the word constrictive and i i guess if it's more out in the open you have more people actually seeing different products different businesses different wares that people are selling and people are making, you know, you could actually have, you know, people selling food on in the streets and, you know, maybe it's a situation where these vendors are out on the streets, you know, obviously right now we've got COVID-19, so people can't be out very late, but in a hypothetical situation with no COVID-19, you could have street vendors out till about 11 o'clock. And people are up and down the street, you know, buying food and buying, you know, different items. And, you know, it would be more of a flexible situation. I think the difference is those areas like um, like the market and vendors mall, mm-hmm. I think because they are within a sort of private or private public building, they have to abide by closing times and you know, you know, it's not a lot of people are not very sure of what's going on down there and you have to sort of look, but where it's out in the open, people can just see it. It's right there in their face. Yeah, that's an interesting point about the visibility of things. Yeah. I remember when the West Bus Station Mall was like newly opened. And because it was new at the time, it was like a big thing or a fad to just go and walk in there. But once you get used to it, you're not entering that building every day. So you have now no idea whether the stores on the second floor have changed. I don't know what they're selling. So it becomes kind of an out of sight, out of mind problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm also curious about, I've heard this idea that St. John's has kind of served its time as a town, but maybe we need to abandon it in some ways. And have like the main city elsewhere. I don't believe in that because if you're abandoning it, it's just going to be a ghost town. It's just going to run. It's, 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 like, it's like this. I, I find like we love to have the new thing. And yeah. uh, when we get the new thing, we, 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 we play with the new thing, we have fun with it, and then we forget the old thing. It just sits there, catches dust, rots. And then it's then no use to anybody. I think the historic St. John should be kept you know, you keep it there, you you maintain it as it is, you renovate what you need to renovate, and you improve it. Because what ends up happening is if you don't improve what's there, it's just going to get worse. It's going to be in more of an ISO. It's a, it's a place where we have our major port 
for tourists, right? It can, you know, there could be a lot of investment put into it to overhaul it, renovate it, make it better. Um, in, re- in regards to a new city, they were trying to do the same thing. At, well, they're, they're planning to do that up at Fry's Hill. There's been talks over the last couple of years that Fry's Hill is right. essentially earmarked as a new city. Now, <laughs> I have my qualms with Fry's Hill as it is right now. There's a, there's a hierarchy issue because if you really look at the type of businesses on Frysel Road, you notice that it's a very sort of high-end, affluent sort of feel, right? That's true. Where St. John sort of has this sort of low-key sort of feel, which I think is, is, is not good because you end up having a division, Right. And it becomes, essentially, you end up having snobbery where it's like, oh, yeah, the, down there is no, no, you know what I mean? Like, no one wants to be over there. No one wants to be in St. John's because this and that. And it just sits there and it rots. Whereas it should be a situation where St. John's is historic. You keep it historic because when people come to visit, they want to see historic, right? When you, when you travel overseas and you go to these different cities and so forth, they have historic areas and they have the modern areas, right? The modern areas are more up-to-date, but the historic areas have that uniqueness. They have this sense of place that you, you visit and you're like, oh, boy, I feel like I'm back in time. So in relation to that, I feel like even with the, the, the new town that they're talking about, they need to learn from the lessons of the old one so that they don't make the same mistakes. And, you know, looking at the way that the fire sale is going right now, it's very close to making some of the similar mistakes because at the moment it's, 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 there's a lot of private land along Fraser Road. So obviously people are going to develop it differently. Mm-hmm. Fine. But my issue is that there needs to be some sort of planning policy that is developed so that all of these developments um, mesh with each other. They go, they go together. You know, it's not like they're just an island in the right. middle of the ocean. Because what ends up happening is you have, you have a strip mall here on a piece of land. Then you have to leave that strip mall, go mm-hmm. onto the main road, drive back on to another road, another road just to get to another strip mall. Whereas it should be that they should be connected. You right. know? Especially and, if they're going for a city vibe. Exactly. And at the moment, it's isolated. Till that, that main arch of Hill Road should be exactly what it is a main artery and then within the different blocks there should be access roads linking each of these developments and i think we have a culture where we like to build developments and then we like to put up walls to say okay this is my boundary right but in a city sense the boundary is the sidewalk your sidewalk your road is your boundary between different properties in some cases it's your it's your walls on either side. That's your boundary of your of your property. So I think like planning, you know, better planning in terms of that should be in place when we start developing for our quote unquote new city. Yeah, I think the idea to make a new city just basically just outside of St. John's is like you're saying, more a following from what's already been happening because there has been so many private developments happening there that it's become a little hub of business and now we're just following that trend to say, well, this will be the new city. 
you made an interesting point about abandoning old things like we always want the new and the shiny and always want something else and that got me thinking about the other historical sites that we have around Antigua and Barbuda and how those have been abandoned in many ways like if you go up to Fort James it's full of graffiti and garbage if you mm-hmm. go to Betty's Hope it's the same thing um, mm-hmm. there are so many of these old sugar mills and different things around the island that are either inaccessible <laughs> or just completely in derelict condition. Um, what would be your thoughts about what to do with these places? I know Fort so, James in particular, they're talking about, set, well, they've kind of already included yeah, it in the global ports deal. So yeah. questionable whether it still belongs to us or not. It's a good question. Probably not. But um yeah, my my take on that is I I have a strong stance. I've actually had this discussion with some of my colleagues, and I think the problem with a lot of our, our historic buildings is there isn't a appreciation for them as they should be. Um, well, I say that to say that it's not a situation where it's like okay, you know, we've got derelict windmills along the all over Antigua. Let's improve them. Let's let's renovate them in such a way that you know we have some sort of historical background and you know things for tourists to look at or even ourselves to look at and it's it's a thing where i think it's the culture of not really caring about the old it's an old building why do i need to care about it? let's just knock it down or just leave it in disrepair well i also so, wonder in some ways people are they just associated with like bad memories of slavery days and that kind of stuff like is it just some kind of trauma we have that's associated with some of our historical things that we just I mean, don't want to deal with it? I mean, there's a possibility, but I mean, you know, you know, in the Caribbean, you know, we, we got sla- we were emancipated from slavery a long time, like 30 years before the Americans. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know, I know we still had to, we still were working in the fields after the fact, but I feel like moving forward, we need to actually look at the fact that, okay, this was a part of our, you know, our negative past. But look, we are, we are, the, we are quote, unquote, the ruling class now. So we can, we can look at these buildings as, you know, things that held us back, or we can look at it as, as something that, you know, we can use as going forward. Yes, this has a bad past, but moving forward, we're going to turn that bad past into something positive. I think we should, you know, have a preservation of these old buildings because then at least we know what our history was. Nothing is worse than having no record of what your history was at all. Like, we, we can put up as many new buildings as we want. We can put up as many new buildings as we want. But if we have nothing to look back on and say, hey, this was what it used to be. Because if you think about it, you look at some pictures, right? You say, okay, you know, this is what this city, this is what this area looks like now. And then you, you look at a picture from 50, 60 years ago, you're like, oh, this was 50, 60 years ago. And there's literally nothing from 50, 60 years ago for you to use as, you know, mm. as a reference point. It's like, oh, okay, we've gotten rid of all the old. Mm-hmm. So I honestly think, you know, in, in terms of um, historic buildings, there should be something in place, and especially with, with along the lines of planning, that they should actually preserve them protect them from being destroyed, protect them from being um, developed in a way that does not um, complement the original design. 
because it's easy for us to say, oh, you know, it's my building or it's this or it's that, but I can do whatever I like. But no, if it has some historical context and historical um, relationship with the country or the area, it should be respected in such a way. I know it's, I know it's in a building, but, you know, it goes back to my, my saying of a sense of place. You know, if you think, oh, it's just a building, I'm just going to do this, I'm going to do that. You know, you're going to take away from, you know, what it was and what it used to be and how it used to look. So I definitely think there should be a strong respect for history or historic buildings. And where necessary, we should, you know, seek to renovate and, you know, restore some of these buildings so that they tell a story of our past and tell a new story of our present. Uh, and I and I when I when I think about buildings by Shirley Heights, for example, uh, I can't remember the name of that building, but it's that long building, that long long building when you get up to the top near to the restaurant. I can't remember what you call it. It's a building from back in, you know, the 1700s or 1600s or whenever, and um, you know, it's 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 you know falling apart. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this is a this is a perfect, you know, perfect artifact that can be restored you know you can do a mixture of both new and old restoration Mm -hmm. and you could utilize it into either a cafe or a museum or even a guest house you know like these are things that we need to be taken seriously because tourists come to see stuff like that they come to see the architecture they come to see the history of a place it's not just beaches they want to see stuff that tells a story of what the country was and what it is. And if we don't have stuff like that to tell for tourists, like Betty's Hope, Betty's Hope has been like, you know, Betty's Hope hasn't changed. Betty's Hope is not the only, you know, restored sugar mill on the island. It's, it's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's one of the few that still has, one of the only ones that has a windmill, but there's so many different sugar mills and, and chimneys around the island. Some people privately own them. You know, maybe there's a situation where governments give a grant to these people to, restore these sugar mills and basically have it on a tour. You know, this could ha- actually help some people to generate some income and it can also have the mini museum on their property, you know, instead of having it knocked down or having it, you know, rot. Yeah. One of the things that always kind of confuses me is how many tour companies or people exist in Antigua selling tours, but then the things that you would go around to see are all in kind of terrible condition so it's kind of like what are you touring (laughs) what exactly are you touring here yeah exactly drive over and over again exactly 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 so i i honestly think at at, um government level there should be some policy in place that you know looks to protect these things because if if they're not protected they're gonna just rot away for another 100 years and then Next thing you know, they don't exist, you know? And, you know, these things can actually be revenue. I know we talk about trying to bring in some money for tourism, but if you don't have anything to show tourists, it's just, you know, there's only so many times you can go around Betty's Hope. There's only so many times you can, you know, look at Shirley Heights and the, and the, and the, and the, and the you know, degraded buildings. Yeah. So it's not even a whole day, you know? and it's not even a whole day. No, imagine you. There's, I, I think there's over a hundred sugar mills on the island. Some you can see, some you can't see. You have to go to the bush, 
to see yeah. it, right? I imagine you had a, a, a sugar mill tour where, you, you know, you go around the island trying to see every sugar mill there is on the island. And there's some, there's, you know, there's some sort of restored plantation house. You know, I know we don't like that because it's remnants of slavery, but, you know, something, something along those lines, you know, to show the history. And maybe it's a cafe, maybe it's a hotel, maybe it's something, you know, but we definitely need to be creative and definitely need to preserve a lot of our old buildings in, in Antigua. And I think it's, it's very important for the development of our country, as well as for the, the younger generations coming up to appreciate these things as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and you said earlier, too, about like u- utilizing our story, even if it might be a rough story. It's something that is a part of us and that we have to mm-hmm. come to terms with. And can actually be a great source of our value, not just for tourism markets, but even, like you're saying, having, having these buildings and these places around and cared for so that the people who are coming up behind us, the younger generation, can actually have something to look at that tells them their story and that reflects the history that they're always hearing about and not just having it be this super abstract thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, I was just thinking because I, I, I've been to um, the Jewish Holocaust Museum in Berlin. Mm. And we know that the Holocaust, the Jewish Holocaust was a very terrible thing that happened in history. Yet it's, I wouldn't say it's celebrated, but it's, you know, there's something there to, to respect those people who lost their lives and, you know, those people who survived and, you know, even though it was a very terrible thing that happened in history, it's still been used as something to educate and for people to appreciate life. Yeah. You know? Memorialized. Memorialized, exactly. So we can essentially do the same thing. You know? We don't have to hide behind the slavery banner that, you know, we should, you know, we have to know where we come from, where we know where we're going. We're not going to let that, we're not going to let our past hold us back from going forward. Yeah. And there's something to be said, too, about, you know, the difference between you owning your story and finding empowerment in it and being ashamed of it while continuing to repeat the behaviors. Yeah, exactly. Because I see us in a situation now where we're doing the latter. Like we're not very conscious about what it is that we're doing with tourism. It's all kind of happening sort of haphazardly. And so we're reproducing this dependency on white markets to feed our economy. Correct, correct, correct. And, um, you know, we, we market ourselves as paradise. We market ourselves in a way that, you know, people who come from the West need to come, or, come over here and, you know, forget about all their worries and stresses. Like, we, we, we market ourselves as a place of, of safety, a place of, um, you know, an idyllic getaway. Mm-hmm. Right, because okay. you know when people when people leave from the Caribbean and similar places, they're like, "Oh no, it's time to go back to the real world." Which really and truly, this is the real world where we live in. We live in the real world. Yeah, you know, they only say that because when they go back to where they go going back to, it's just it's nothing like this. It's just back to the the grind, back to the, the you know, yeah, the rat long race, winters. 
exactly like the coldness and all that like the concrete you know, <laughs> listen i tell you i left i left england i couldn't leave england quicker than i did because i was getting tired of seeing the grayness you know it, it, when summer comes you probably get like a week of really hot days and then here's the funny thing when you get those week that week of hotness right you're inside working weekend comes and you'll be lucky if that's that you still get that same heat because then the weekend will come and then rain starts falling. You know? So I totally can understand why a lot of people from the Western countries come over to the Caribbean and they're like, yeah, Caribbean is where I need to be. It's, it's hot. It's beautiful. It's relaxed. And I need to be here for a few, few days. So yeah, definitely we have to own our own story. We have to definitely market ourselves more than just this haphazard way of, okay, yeah, it's the tourism. We depend on you, blah, blah, blah. Um, it's more about us saying, hey, we take ownership of tourism. This is what our tourism market is going to be. This is what the industry is going to be. This is what we're going to spend our money on. Because really and truly, there's a lot of government-owned, you know, when I say government, it's, you know, it's owned by the state, that owned by the state, properties that they can be renovated you understand you know we we get we get money from flights we get money from cip you know we get money from taxes so why can't we create a fund that we put money into every month and then when we get enough money we carry out certain renovations and then we improve our tourism product yeah there's really no real reason why that shouldn't happen except Somehow when there is money, there's always something else to spend it on that isn't, that isn't about the future. Yeah, I, I, think, I think the problem is, is that there's not a lot of value placed on architecture in Antigua unless you're building a house for yourself, you know? There's no, there's no value in terms of, you know, landmarks and, you know, the overall feel of a place. You know, like, you're okay, you know, they renovated big church. The only reason why big church got renovated is because there's people that use big church on a regular basis. And, and it's one of the main landmarks in St. John's, yeah. right? Which is, you know, it's a good thing because, you know, you, you, they recognize that it being a landmark and the fact that it's still being used by people shows its importance. But then how many other places, historic places in Antigua are respected like that? Yeah, I mean, even big church, you go there. I mean, yes, it's being renovated and that's a great thing, but people read about that church before they come to Antigua and they get excited to see it. And then they yeah. go there and, the, you know, it's kind of just there. <laughs> there isn't, you know, information about it. There isn't anybody, like, to tell you all the different intricacies of the building. So it's like you can find yeah. that information on your own somewhere, but when you're there in the moment, there isn't yeah, anything on offer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a you know, it's a very cultural thing because you know, we you know, generally, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. When we have our visitors here, we we give them the basic rundown and then it's just for them to find their way. The beach is Definitely. just the beginning of being lost. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it's, you know, this is 2020. We've been saying beach is just the beginning for the last 30 plus years. So it's time to, it's time to change that slogan. Yep. It's time that we move past the beginning. Oh, no, so sure, sure, sure. I'm, I'm always ready. I'm always ready for, you know, the revolution. 
And speaking of the revolution, you mentioned a couple of times that, you know, you think our issues are cultural, and I would agree with that assessment. What do you think are the levers for changing our culture? Um, Like I say, education is definitely one of the most important um, things. When I say education, it's just letting people understand the importance of these different things that we spoke about. You know, and that could start from, you know, from the school level. You know, when you're in in secondary school or or primary school and you, you sort of, you know, create an awareness of these things so that when kids get to a certain age, voting age, or what have you, they demand more than they expect from their um, politicians. So, you know, we have to, we have to start, we have to start from educating our, our youth and then we have to educate our old, our young adults and even our older adults, because, you know, a lot of people do not, sees the importance in some of these things in Antigua or they've come become complacent and be like oh well that's just how it is you know and I think that is the biggest issue complacency because you know we all just think oh this is the way it is uh it ain't gonna change so you know we're just gonna get on with it any insights about cracking the complacency you know we all have to we all have to do our part as well we all have to do our part to get to that point for anyone who's listening to this and has become interested in what you have to say, where would be the best place for them to connect with you online? Uh, they can hit me up on social media. Um, it's Aaron Nibs on Instagram. And yeah, the same thing on Facebook. Excellent. Well, Aaron, yeah. thanks again so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually thankful that we got to sit down and, um, and talk about these things. listening to this episode of grassroots radio if you enjoyed the conversation show some love and help spread the word you can do that by subscribing on apple google youtube spotify or wherever you get your podcasts already subscribed consider leaving a five-star review it helps other people find the show If you have an idea for someone you want to see featured or a topic you want us to cover, let us know. DM us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at grassrootsANU or email us at thenewgrassroots at gmail.com. For more about NGR, visit us at thenewgrassroots.com. Until next time, this is... Grassroots Radio.